Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. People who don't have health insurance are being blindsided with tens of thousands of dollars in medical bills. For many, a single trip to the ER can break their checkbook, especially if an independent physician is treating them. Many Chicagoans decide to go untreated to avoid debt. Here with us to discuss these medical disparities is WBEZ public health and politics reporter Kristen Schorsch. Hi, Kristen. Welcome back. Hi. Thanks for having me. Also with us is Carrie Chapman, Senior Director of Policy and Advocacy at the Legal Council for Health Justice in Chicago. Carrie, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. And Edith Avila-Olia, Policy Manager with the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. Hi, Edith. Hi. Good afternoon. Kristen, let's start with you. When reporting on this issue, you actually talked with a woman named Elma from Cicero. Uh, She experienced something that a lot of us do when we're sick. She had some pain and she tried to wait it out knowing how expensive it is to go to a doctor or hospital, right? So can you tell us who Elma is and a little bit more about her story? Yeah, well, I met Elma through Edith. um, And last September, Elma went to McNeil Hospital um, in an emergency. She had, like you said, put off going to the hospital for about two days, even though she had this really intense stomach pain because she didn't have health insurance and she worried about how expensive it might be. And she knew her family couldn't afford it um, if she went to the hospital. But anyway, she, you know, she was in so much pain that she finally went to the ER at McNeil and um, ended up getting her gallbladder removed. And, you know, at first the, you know, the, the bill started to come and she did get, um, I believe it was about a 92% discount from McNeil because she was so low income. And as a nonprofit hospital that gets tax breaks, McNeil has a financial assistance policy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what ended up happening, though, was with Edith's help, then Elma ended up getting a 100% discount. But, you know, she had doctors at the hospital in the ER, in the OR, who treated her, but were independent, you know, they're independent providers, they're not on the payroll, they're not employed by McNeil. And and this is common. But of course, Alma and a lot of patients wouldn't know this. So even though McNeil gave her a 100% discount, that financial assistance policy from the hospital does not apply to the independent providers who treated Alma. So then she started to get all these bills in the mail, and they totaled more than $8,000 that she owed the independent providers. These were surgeons, anesthesiology, labs, things like that. So, I mean, no surprise, Kristen, we know healthcare in this country is often expensive, right? But in Alma's case, the bills got so high mainly because of these independent providers. Is that right? Right, exactly. Edith, you are with the uh, Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights, and you were actually involved with Elma's case. Are stories like hers typical? Yes. Unfortunately, um, we don't know how large scale they are in the state, but it is um, common to see an immigrant, especially who is, uh, you know, has limited English proficiency, doesn't necessarily understand um, the U.S. healthcare system not necessarily understand how to navigate additional bills. Um, for example, 
Kristen mentioned this, but usually an individual, when they are going to the ER, they're not necessarily aware who is, you know, a hospital staff versus an independent provider. Mm-hmm. Um, so the bills end up being a complete surprise. And naturally, right, you might see a patient go to the hospital, apply for um, hospital financial assistance. Um, but as I noted in Elma's case, that's not always possible or available. The coverage won't necessarily cover the third party bills that individuals receive. Yeah. Tell us more about some of the specific stories that your organi- organization's been seeing, Edith, when it comes to undocumented patients and their bills. Yeah, so it usually impacts um, a large, significant number of undocumented immigrants, but also others who are uninsured. We know that LPRs or legal permanent residents um, with fewer than five years uh, of residence are also ineligible for Medicaid. And so in these situations, what usually happens is we actually have a hotline um, here at ICER that anyone can call for medical assistance uh, for or assistance in navigating the healthcare system, I should say. Okay. Uh, and and um, so that's actually how Elma found ICER. Um, we also have, ICER is a, a coalition, so we have community organizations who we work with in making sure that immigrants have access to healthcare. So that's other ways that we get some of the cases that we work on. But usually by the time they get to ICER, the cases are somewhat complex um, because we know that individuals, by the time they get to an organization, have usually exhausted the options that they might have seen. I see. Carrie, let's turn to you here. You're with the Legal Council for Health Justice. First, start us off with a bit about what your group does. Uh, So we are a small legal services provider. That means we provide civil legal services. um, So things like help with health care access and health coverage access um, across the the lifespan for low-income folks. So we're free civil legal aid. Okay. Uh, Edith mentioned something a moment ago when we were talking about Elma's case and and so many others that uh, Edith has seen in her work. She talked about you know, sometimes these patients have no idea who is who, right? Which of these are staff, hospital staff? Who's the who's an independent doctor? Is it is that legal? Like, are are they supposed to clearly let you know who's who and how this will impact your your bill at the end of the day? Well, that's a great question. Um, so I am hopeful that under the No Surprise Billing Act, um, the federal law, uh, which primarily covers folks who have insurance, but has some provisions that cover folks who are uninsured. Um, we will see more transparency about who is covered by a hospital's financial assistance policy, what providers are covered and what providers are not covered. And we do see some hospital systems, as um, Kristen highlighted in her story, who will give you that list. The challenge, of course, is how do you operationalize that knowledge into power, right? So you can see a huge list of folks who you might, you know, touch in an emergency department. Um, but you don't get to say, oh, I don't want to see that doctor. I don't want to see this doctor. I don't want that anesthesiologist. I want a different one. Um, so transparency is part of the issue, but just accessibility to physicians who are covered by the policy is really fundamentally what's most important. Um, so transparency is, is, I hope, going. we're going to see much more transparency under the federal law and under a new state, um, Illinois law, um, that was passed in the previous General Assembly session. But that's only a part of the problem. Kristen, Kerry brought up the No Surprises Act that Congress passed earlier this year. Can you just remind us what it does? 
But yeah, so basically, if you have private insurance and an independent physician treats you, they have to bill you at the rate, uh, an in-network rate. So basically, um, they can't bill you for try to explain this to the average person, right? They can't, they can't give you this outrageous bill that you would be getting if you didn't have insurance. So it's supposed to essentially make sure that you aren't getting, um, you're not surprised by a really, really big bill. Mm -hmm. Um, but the problem is that this largely does not shield the uninsured from getting these big bills. The uninsured are in this law in a way in which if you, uh, you can go to a provider and say, give me what's called a good faith estimate of how much you might charge me. But, you know, in an emergency, how is that really going to play out? Like Carrie said, you can't pick your doctors in an emergency. Yeah. And if you don't have insurance, you don't have a network of doctors that then the independent physicians can say, okay, well, I can only charge you those at network rates. Yeah. So, so this bill has, you know, it's, it's obviously a really good thing for people with private insurance. People fought really hard for this, but it largely leaves the uninsured unprotected from getting these big bills in the future. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you are just tuning in with us, our guests are WBEZ's Kristen Schorsch, Carrie Chapman with the Legal Counsel for Health Justice, and Edith Avila Olia with the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. We're talking about the hefty medical bills that uninsured Chicagoans are facing. Kristen, back to you. Talk more about how this disproportionately affects folks who are uninsured. Right. Well, so, I mean, you imagine you go to a hospital. I think I think one of the big takeaways here is nonprofit hospitals get tax breaks for um, providing a, a bucket of benefits to the communities, one of which can be giving discounts to people who are low income or uninsured. And the issue that I found is that how big those discounts um, can be and how 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 much you're going to be billed by independent providers really depends on which hospital you end up at. I was looking at a lot of hospital financial policies. So if you go to, for example, um, before Amita Health recently broke up into two health systems, the number, the the amount of independent providers that did not, in which the in which the financial assistance policy at Amita did not apply to them was 49 pages long. At Northwestern Medicine, which is you know a big prominent health system here in the Chicago area, it's 18 pages long. If you go to Silver Cross in the Southwest suburbs, um, almost none of their providers are bound by Silver Cross's financial assistance policy because almost all independent providers work at the hospital. Mm -hmm. And I want to make sure. So I mean, so for patients, it's almost a PSA for them. If you can look and see at which hospital you know you you typically go to. Who is on that list? Who is not bound by the hospital's financial assistance policy? Because that then it'll inform you and better educate you about maybe who you should be asking to make sure, you know, that you might not get these big bills. I, I see, will say, I you know, Cook County, the Cook County Health System, which has Stroger and Provident Hospitals, they, they really were an anomaly here. They have almost all employed physicians, meaning, you know, Every single person you likely would be treated, who likely would treat you at one of their hospitals, would not be sending you a bill on the side. It is, you know, they're very mission driven. Um, and Cook County is the largest safety net for people who, who really don't have insurance um, or can't afford the insurance they have. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Edith, we, we talked earlier about uh, some of the challenges that you've seen um, the folks you work with work with face when it comes to medical bills. Are, are, is there a difference that you're seeing if they're documented or undocumented? 
Well, for sh- uh, I mean, if you are undocumented, then, well, there are some recent expansions. But generally speaking, if you're undocumented, you, you likely don't have access to health insurance. Um, now, there has been some wins um, that our community has fought for. So more recently, um, if you are 55 and older, you now have access to a Medicaid-like um, health benefit program mm-hmm. um, that you can apply for in the state of Illinois. And this year, um, starting in July 1st of 2022, that will expand further. So 42, um, if you're 42 and older, you'll be able to apply for the Medicaid-like expansion program here in the state of Illinois. Um, but the the primary issue here is that immigrants who don't, you know, fit in these categories don't have any other option for health care coverage. And so um, because they don't have healthcare coverage. They um, generally don't want to go to a doctor's office because they can't afford their medic- the medical bills. And so they end up having to wait until there's an emergency, right? Um, and, and the cost is significantly more to take care of that emergency in an ER. Um, so we do know that immigrants have um, access to hospital financial assistance. But in the immigrant community, um, there is a lot of fear and misconceptions around accessing and applying for um, financial assistance. For example, um, the immigrants sometimes feel that if they apply for financial assistance, it may somehow hurt them in the future um, from the possibility of getting immigration status, or they don't want to share their private and sensitive information for fear that that information will somehow end up in immigration offices. Yeah. And so there's there's a lot of fear around accessing health care, but then you add the medical bills and it really complicates, right, um, or add barriers to immigrants accessing health care without that health care coverage. Carrie, what do patients' bills look like after they get help from programs like Legal Counsel for, for Health Justice? Are some still pretty high? So, Uh, Generally speaking, um, in Illinois, we have good protections under the Hospital Uninsured Patient Discount Act and the Fair Patient Billing Act. Um, And so low-income folks can generally get their entire hospital bill um, written off. Again, this is a quid pro quo. Hospitals get a tax exemption for this. So one of the things that's important to explain to community members is that hospitals are not merely doing this out of the goodness of their heart. Um, They are um, able to not pay significant amounts of property taxes, tens of millions of dollars of property taxes total throughout the state um, as a result of being tax exempt. And in exchange for that exemption, they provide this financial assistance. Um, So if you're low income enough, you can have the entire hospital bill written off. Again, as we've just discussed, that doesn't necessarily cover every provider. Um, But when you get connected to folks like us, um, it's much easier to navigate the system. But what we found in Illinois and in other states, in fact, in Washington There was just a lawsuit filed about about this by the state attorney general, is that if you call for financial assistance, you're calling the billing department. And generally, the first thing they say is how much you can how much can you pay? Mm -hmm. Um, And they try to push you into a payment plan. And we're talking about payment plans for a family of four making less than twenty eight thousand dollars a year. Um, So paying fifty dollars on a hospital bill means foregoing food, foregoing clothing. Um, foregoing prescription medicine. Um, There are no margins for these families. Um, And so uh, oftentimes it takes advocacy with organizations like ours to get through that billing spiel of why don't you pay, why don't you pay, why don't you pay, 
um, to actually get the hospital to process a financial assistance application and write off their portion of the bill. I see. And, and while these bills are essentially destroying these folks' pockets, Carrie, what does this type of money look like to the medical companies? Like, are their checkbooks hurting too? So it is inconceivable to me that the bills that we are seeing for families in deep poverty, you know, $8,000, $10,000, which is ruining folks' credit um, and is an enormous burden for them to do even a payment plan on, this is more than even a rounding error for most hospitals. You know, you think about systems, um, safety net hospitals are a different story, but systems like Amita, systems like Northwestern, systems like Advocate, these are systems that generate enormous revenue every year and increasingly are seeing patients with insurance coverage, right? We are lucky to live in Illinois where we have expanded Medicaid to childless adults, where we are expanding a Medicaid lookalike, as Edith mentioned, to folks who can't get federal Medicaid. And so hospitals are seeing fewer and fewer uninsured folks. Um, which makes both these individual bills, but even the overall group of bills um, that people need written off less and less of their budgets. Edith, you mentioned some earlier, but any other policies in the works to uh, address this burden? Uh, Yeah, so um, a couple of things that I wanted to know is that our community did work to pass um, SB 1840, which is a change to to the Hospital Uninsured Patient Discount Act. And this, well, uh, it's been effective since January of this year, Um, But it's a new charity care law that allows uninsured patients to be screened for the opportunity to apply for hospital financial assistance at the same time when hospital services are scheduled. Um, The referrals can be made through um, FQHCs or federally qualified health centers and free and charitable clinics. Uh, The other thing is that while we continue to uh, work for the expansions that I I mentioned earlier, um, the goal is obviously health care for all. Mm -hmm. Um, regardless of immigration status or their ability to pay. But these wins have not been entirely inclusive. So we do hope to go back and fight for the inclusion of long-term care and home community-based services. But every little bit counts, right? Right. Right. Kristen, what are you going to be watching for as this issue persists? Well, I'm going to, you know, see if more people contact me about how big their bills are um, and to see what happens if there's going to be any sort of legislation like the No Surprises Act um, to largely shield more of the bills for the uninsured. You know, I I will say um, I I did want to get to, you know, the in defense of the doctors and hospitals about why this is happening, what they're saying about this. You know, the doctors were telling me, the independent doctors we're telling me that they are for profit, that they don't get the tax breaks that nonprofit hospitals do to be able to offer these big discounts. Um, and they also say, you know, that just being a doctor these days is more expensive than it used to be. Their rent is going up, their reimbursement, how much they get paid back from insurance companies to treat even people with private insurance is um, is less and it doesn't cover you know, how much it actually costs to treat patients. So they say that they are, are losing money in some ways. Um, and, you know, depending on the type of hospital you are, if you're research based, if you have a lot of money, if you're a safety net that, you know, that really is just trying to get by, yeah. um, you know, it really, it really largely depends on what their response is. A lot of hospitals did not get back to me or said they really couldn't force their financial assistance policy on these independent providers. You know, one provider I talked to, St. Bernard, which is a safety net in Inglewood and largely treats low income folks was telling me that, you know, they have mostly independent providers 
and that they really couldn't have their their financial assistance policy apply to them because it would be hard to retain and recruit them. Wow. Yeah. Um, but they also were saying that they know that a lot of their providers do offer these discounts to people who can't afford to pay that they, you know, that their, that their staff is from their community. Um, but really the, this story about who can, you know, which independent providers are able to offer deep discounts really depends on the, you know, the type of patients, like the communities that they are in. But I did want to make sure that we got to that, you know, just in terms of the defense of what the doctors and hospitals say about Absolutely. why they're doing this. Very important. And I think, Kristen, I think your phone is still going to be ringing. <laughs> I've already gotten a lot of emails about this. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to reach back out to those folks and see what their stories are. That's it for today's Reset. Want to stay up to date on the week's other top stories? Stick with this podcast and stop by every weekday afternoon when we drop a new episode. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with more tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.